0: All right, well, you already heard that the subject for this week is on the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you know what the fruit of the Spirit is without looking up there? A few of you. I'm, I've been studying it for a few weeks, and I still have a hard time getting them all right and in the right uh, order. If you don't know me, I'm Joel Thomas. My wife Jessica's here with me. Um, our three children, Lauren, Kyle, and Allison, are there and out there. And we attend Bank Mennonite. I have a tendency to ramble, and I will try not to do that. We don't have near as much time as we need to have, so... If you want to say something, and I just won't be quiet, just interrupt gently, but interrupt, and I'll try to field whatever you have to say. Um, the fruit of the spirit. The setting here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, to the Gentiles in Galatia, is to settle an argument about keeping the law or not. Prior to this, on Paul's first missionary journey, he was sent from Antioch to preach to the Gentiles, and you can read that in Acts 13 13 and 14, and he set up churches in Galatia. The Gentiles believed and accepted the good news of Jesus the Messiah, repented of their sins, were baptized and committed to following and serving Him. Jump ahead to the issues the book of Galatians addresses. And we see others coming to Galatia, but instead of encouraging and nurturing the new believers, they say, well, that's not enough. They say, you're not, you're not quite doing it right. You need to keep the law of Moses as well, like we do. You need to be circumcised, don't eat pork, keep all the rituals and the feast days. You can't just be expected, you can't just expect to be counted a child of God. I mean, this is our heritage you got you're gonna to have to conform if you want to be counted among the numbered, right? Well, Paul reacts pretty strongly to that in the first four chapters, saying things like, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. In Galatians 1 9. And to the Galatians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you in Galatians 3? Paul even talks about confronting Peter himself in Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Peter, when he was, when he was by himself, would sit down and eat with these Gentiles, these Gentile Christians, and, and commune with them and treat them right. But as soon as visitors would come, he, he'd step back and say, all right, you, you guys are over there and we're over here. He was creating two types of Christians. Obviously, that's a serious problem, and no doubt would have been confusing for new believers who didn't grow up under the Mosaic law with questions like, what must I do to be saved? How can I become a child of God? Will I receive the blessing given through Abraham? Do I belong? So a question for us today, does the Mosaic law applies to us, apply to us? Also, I'm going to interject here and say that I'm not usually nervous when I'm speaking in public, but for some reason, y'all are making me nervous, so I'll get through it, but I'll get more comfortable here eventually. So does the Mosaic Law apply to us today? Say it again. Okay. So there's, there's two sides that Paul attacks here or that Paul addresses here. And that is our next two questions there. What is legalism? And what is antinomianism? So legalism says obey all the rules, keep all the feast days, etc. But there's a ditch on the other side that's antinomianism or license as some call it. And license is a moral distortion of liberty in Christ. It's the idea that living under and in God's grace gives us the freedom or license to live how we want, free from any regulation or standard. Freedom in Christ, the Holy Spirit guides my decisions, God's grace covers whatever I do. That's the attitude. So what then? Throw out the law of Moses? Well, it's not Moses' law, it's God's law, and it's good law. So where do southeastern Mennonites land on this? Which side of the fence are we on? Or, and don't, don't say we're perfect. We're not. So I believe we err on the side of legalism. We have our rules and regulations. We have expected standards that we, we want our members to live by. And some would react to that and say, you, you can't force people into Christianity. You can't conform them into this mold and say, there, now you're a Christian. And I don't believe that's what we're trying to do with the rules and regulations either. It's, it's an expected mode of conduct. Like Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, these are the things that are going to show up in your life. These are the attitudes that you're going to have, the way that you're going to approach decisions in life, scenarios in life. Since, though, we err on the side, to to what most people see, since we err on the side of legalism, I think it gives us all the more reason that we must convey to the world around us not a set of rules, but a heart that longs to do that which is right. Freedom from the law could take a whole other week of of meetings that we're not going to have. Um, So I don't want to get hung up in here. Um, Another another thing that I'm going to be doing, I have scriptures listed in here, not so much in the introduction here, but lots and lots later on. And I will be asking you to someone look those up and, and read them out loud. I don't care who you are. I don't want to say... All right, someone read Galatians 5, 1 through 26, and there'll be three minutes of silence because we don't have that much time. So if you're looking ahead and you see a passage and you want to get it looked up, that's great. So Paul agrees, yes, the gospel of Jesus has set us free and says to stand fast in that freedom and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. But he addresses the other extreme as well in Galatians 5, verse 13. He says, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. There we see the answer to both legalism and license, love. I do want to read Galatians 5, 1 through 26. I'll go ahead and read that. Ducks in a row here. Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I Paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to you. whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through, for we through the Spirit wait for the For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revellings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So what is the flesh? Well, the flesh is what we read in verses 19 through 21. And we might look down through that list and say, we're not adulterers. We're not idolaters. We don't live in witchcraft. We don't don't hate people. We can look down through that list and say, we're in pretty good shape. Kind of the same way we can look down through the other list and say, we're in pretty good shape. Pretty good shape is not what we're called to be. These works of the flesh come naturally. It's not something that, that you have to, at least for me anyway, I don't have to try to hate someone. I have to try not to sometimes. You know, it, it takes work to go against these things. That's why they're the works of the flesh. It's, it's your natural self. It's who you are. Well, who, do, who do the works of the flesh affect? Who don't they affect? Thank you. They affect me, you, the world, our relationship with Christ, the relationship that others might have had had they seen a better fruit in you. So do humans naturally have these attributes? I jumped ahead of myself. Yes, they do. It's it's who we are. That is our sin nature. After the works of the flesh, Paul gives another list. Galatians 5 22 23. Someone read those two.
1: But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, efforts against such there is no law.
0: Thank you. Now, well, let me just read what I have typed out here for you. So I read. Um, Christopher Wright's book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, while I was studying for this. And he had a good thing to say about comparing these two lists. He says, this is quoting him, Let's notice first what this text is not. It is not a list of virtues matching the list of vices just listed as acts of flesh. In Greek Greek and Jewish texts from that time, there were common matching lists of vices and virtues that were supposed to shape people's behavior. Basically, they said, don't do these things, the vices, rather, do these things, the virtues. In either case, the emphasis was on what you should not do and what you should do instead. Of course, there are some similarity, there are some similarity with Paul's double listing here, but lists of vices and virtues could easily could also easily be used simply as a list of rules. Don't do this list and do this list. That is definitely not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not saying don't try to obey all the rules in the Old Testament law. Here's a much easier set of rules to obey instead. That would be to replace one wrong attitude with another one. Paul is not really talking about rules at all. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, fruit is always a result of uh, the, the plant that it grows. Okay. We're not plants. So what does it mean to bear fruit of the Spirit? Well, like the plant, you're programmed to bear something, right? And we'll talk about this more in a little bit. You're only going to bear what you're programmed to bear. But we're programmed to be sinful, right? That's who we are. As humans, it's who we are. Thank you. Thank you. So, if we aren't talking about another set of rules, a set of rules that says you must have love, you must have joy, you must have peace, if this isn't a set of rules, what is it? It's a product. Okay. Do the things that we practice are they what comes naturally from who we are as Christians? Do the things that we practice are they a natural result of who we are as Christians? Mm-hmm. As I sure hope so. Well, you know,
1: I'm sure if I say that or <laughs> not. <laughs>
0: So I have this written in here. I saw something recently I like. It can be taken with a grain of salt if you like, but I really like it. Talking about the way that we are and the things that we do. First, it's an intention. Then an action. Then a practice. Then consistency. Then a habit. Then it's simply who we are. So... That was not written by a Christian and applied to something else. But I really like that in looking at our behavior. Let you take that and contemplate that. They are not suggestions. I agree with that 100%. Does someone have Matthew 7 15 to 20? Their fruit, she shall know them. What fruit are you bearing? Why does an apple tree have apples? Because it's an apple tree. There's a joke that I've been telling recently. I get stuck on one joke and I tell it over and over. What kind of apple grows on a tree? And people think for a while, I don't know. And you say, all of them. (laughs) Apples grow on apple trees. That's where you find that. Where do we find the fruit of love? Well, hopefully you can say in Christians. Hopefully you can say that about any of those things. Will you find them other places? There are different varieties of apple trees. Yes. It's an apple tree. It's written into its very nature and it has no choice. We have the works of the flesh written into our nature. So that's just what we're bound to do, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, I have it written out here and amplified because I like the way it is spelled out there. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, the previous moral and spiritual condition, has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. We aren't that old creature anymore. We'll talk about crucifying the flesh later on this week, but we shouldn't be that old creature. Who has John 15, 1 through 17? I am the true God of the Father's <laughs> Son of the
1: Branch of branches, he that abides in me and I am him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And then gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Hear my the Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, Commandment to love another as I love you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for servant, the servant does not what his Lord doeth. But if
0: Thank you. So what is the root of bearing fruit? Is it, is it acceptance of Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and then, all right, I'm going to figure out how to be a good person on my own. What is it? It's being grafted into that vine, and then Jesus goes through and says, I am the true vine. I'm where you should be getting the source from. You're not concocting this on your own. You're not creating it on your own. You need to be rooted in me, and I am love, and you need to be rooted in love. Love should flow out of everything that you do. That's a beautiful word picture, but how do we do it in real life? What does it mean to abide in the vine? What does that look like? You know, we hear all these nice cliche sayings, and they're great. Don't get me wrong, but my wife will probably tell you I'm annoying with words. You know, I want to know what that means. What does it mean to abide in the vine? If you're trying to explain that to someone that's never heard that phrase before, what does that look like in the life of a Christian? You
2: get your
0: nurture, you get your nurture from him. So how? right here.
2: That's
0: a valid question. What is the source or what is the reason for why you do what you do? What drives your decisions? What affects your emotions? Can we abide and not bear fruit? I have two no's. I have one yes. Thank you. Oh, not a yes? Well, it's, it's a yes. I think we can abide and not have fruit, and there's there's a consequence for that. He says any... Any that abide any branch that abideth in me and beareth not fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. I think there is a time where we can be that person. And I think we need to be careful that we're truly abiding and not just kind of just kind of connected. You know, I'm I'm kind of connected to Christ because I kind of go to church every Sunday or Wednesday in Bible school, you know. I have a connection there, but am I drawing my source from that? Or am I just kind of there? if we are truly a new creation, if we are grafted into Christ, we will want to follow his commands and will result in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Leviticus 26, 1 through 13 is printed in there, and I apologize it should not be printed in there. It does kind of fit, but I had decided to take it out because of the sake of time. If you want to look through that and study it on your own, that's great, but we're not going to right now. I think officially we're supposed to have a little five-minute break before we get into the next portion of this. So if you need to take a drink, my daughter has already gone out and gotten seven, but I think there's probably still water back there. Or if you need to use the restroom, you're welcome to do that. Just a quick five-minute break. I need a drink. All right, just about everyone's back, so we'll get going again. So would we agree that these fruits of the Spirit, actually, let me clarify that, the fruit of the Spirit, because it's a multifaceted fruit, it's not a whole bunch of different fruits, would we agree that as a born-again Christian, those fruits must be evident in our lives? Yes. Now, does that mean that we've just created a rule that you must have those fruits in your life to prove that you're a Christian? We didn't make that rule. We're just reiterating what God has said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What, are, what does he command? To love, to have joy. He, he gives us different ways to find all these things. Now, each of these fruits, mm, most of these fruits we could spend a week on. Love is one of them. Um, some of the others, I would run out of things to say. Um, but there's a lot to say about love. So, first question. Define love. Just give me an example of love. So I said you don't have to talk much in the introduction, but I'll be asking more questions and waiting. Is this a cliche to
2: say
0: God? God? No, it's not cliche. That's the definition of love. What's another definition of love? Giving
1: his life was
0: the ultimate gift of love. Okay, giving his life was the ultimate gift of love. Forgiveness is love. Those are all good things up here. That's great. Now give me some love things that are down here. Good Samaritan. That's up here too. Yep.
1: Okay.
0: That's love. What else? Not being self-centered. Not being self-centered. Treating somebody with respect that doesn't deserve it. Treating
1: someone with respect who doesn't deserve it. Yep. It's
0: someone who does deserve as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are some verses that come to mind that contain love? And it says, thank you. John fifteen thirteen. What else? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. What else? There's a lot of them. Genesis one one. See it doesn't have to have the word love to contain love. Love is patient, love is kind. John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give ye give you that ye love one another as I have loved you. I have Jesus wept at the top of my list. Thank you. I also have whom the Lord loves, he chastens. A lot of different definitions of love. Lots and lots of verses about love. The Greek word used in, that Paul used here is the word agape, which is unconditional, sacrificial love. Some other ideas that have been expounded on as far as what that word means. Love that is a choice. The love of serving with humility. This kind of ties in with love that is a choice, but love that is from free will and not motivated by appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. It is just pure love of free will. Not the love of free will, but love out of free will. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40. <clears throat> when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which of the great commandment in the law Oh, sorry, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So they come, try to tempt Jesus and trick him into picking some law that was most important so that they could pick it apart and attack him. He didn't give them just one. He gives them two. And he says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. He's basically challenging that lawyer. He's saying, if you can find me a law that doesn't have one of these loves as the root of that law, then you win. Find me a law in Moses that doesn't use one of these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two forms of love which hang the whole law. And Jesus, we talked about law earlier, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. His response wasn't to side with those who wanted to live their own life. He says, if you have these two, if you have these two, the rest will become natural. So when is love easy or hard? Someone have Matthew five
2: forty three through forty six. love your bless curse you, you the the and on just you,
0: thank you. You have heard that it was said. Jesus said that a lot. He said, this is what you've heard. This is what I tell you. And even this is what's in the law, but this is what it means. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hurt you and curse you. It's easy to love your friends, right? Most of the time. Well, do we have enemies? Maybe we don't feel like we have enemies, but we have people that annoy us. And if anyone here has no one that annoys them, I would love to talk to you afterwards. Because I feel like there's great wisdom to be gleaned from you. People are humans. Personalities clash. It's part of who we are. It can be used in a good way. Romans twelve nineteen through 21. Anyone have that? Avenge not yourselves. On the road is probably where I feel like taking the vengeance. Taking vengeance the most. People, people can't drive.
1: <laughs>
0: it, it tries it tries many of those fruits in my life to drive through charlottesville at five o'clock avenge not yourselves this is a question next question is something that i'll ask on most of these fruits what does love prove So if we have love in our lives, what does that prove? What does that prove to us as Christians, to the world around us, or to God? That we're supernatural? That we're connected to the vine? It sure is. It proves that we know something about God's love. Thank you. I missed it. I'm sorry. Maybe we'll leave some fruit behind. Um, I'm going to turn to Mark 11. Mark 11, 12 through 14. Yep, you're right.
1: was picture
0: Thank you. What does love prove? Love proves life. True life. If you plant tomatoes and they grow up nice and tall, you stake them, you pinch the suckers off, you keep it watered, and it never produces tomatoes. Is it a healthy tomato plant? A healthy tomato plant is able to produce fruit. And what is the essence of fruit? What is in fruit? Life by a seed. All fruit has a seed in it. If a plant grows up and produces fruit, that fruit is the furtherance of that plant's life. Jesus here, now there's a lot of backstory, and I I love this passage. Jesus is on his way to clean out the temple. He goes to the temple and he looks around, says he looks around, but it was late in the day. And so he goes off to Bethany. The next morning, coming from Bethany, he's headed back to the temple and he was hungry and he sees a fig tree off in the distance. Now, something you should know about fig trees, otherwise this won't make sense, is that their fruit and their leaves come out at the same time. If you see a fig tree in full foliage, it should have fruit on it. And so he, it's early in the season, we read in the passage, it's a little early for figs. And so he, he sees this fig tree, he's like, perfect. Now, he knew there was no figs on it, so there's a lesson there that he was teaching his disciples that, again, is another, is another great story. But he goes and he looks for the fruit on the tree, and there's nothing there, and he curses the tree, and he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you. If you jump down a couple verses there, In my Bible, it's titled, The Power of Faith, verse 20. And in the morning, as they pass by, so this is after they go to the temple, he flips the tables and has a great time, and we'll talk about that more later. In the morning, as they pass by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto him, have faith in God. And then it moves on through a passage of faith. There was no life in that tree. There was no fruit in that tree. Makes me think of the verse that talked about any branch that abideth in the vine and doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Retribution was swift for that tree. Love proves life. Lack of love leads to death. What's the opposite of love? Hate. Someone have, boy, we aren't even very far in this. Someone have 1 John 3, 11 through 17. this is a message that you hear
2: from the end of us
0: to thank you the opposite of love is hate hate leads to death sometimes physical like in the case of Cain He who hateth is like a murderer. Love proves life. James 2, 14 through 17. What they may say they he Thank you. Love proves faith. If you have faith without works, if you say to the, to the naked and the homeless, be, be warmed and filled, that's an action of love, to say, no, come come here. Let me warm you. Let me clothe you. Let me feed you. That's love. Love proves faith, and we'll look at that later this week. Love among us is proof of God. I need someone who has first John four eight. He
2: does
1: not, love you, does not know God. God. is
0: love. God is love. Okay. Hold on to that. Now since you're right there, four twelve. That one has seen God in any kind. If we love one another, God in us,
2: His love
0: is So if we love one another, God abides in us. So other people can see God's love abiding in us. Now, does someone have John 14, 9? So if God is love, and if we love one another, people see Christ in us, and if you've seen Christ, you've seen God, then our love proves God. It's, it's not just empty love. It's not just, hey, you, you followers of mine, you all need to love each other because it's going to make things flow smoothly. No, it's, it's a glimpse for people looking in. It's a glimpse of God. We already read in Matthew five forty three through 46, but I'm going to turn there real quick. Matthew five, forty three through 46. That's where it was. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you. He goes on through there. When we stopped early on that, in verse 46, we stopped with, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Next two verses. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If we, I said when people see love in us, they see Christ, which means they see God. If we are to be living proof of a living God, how can we say, don't look at me for an example? I'm only human, you know, I make mistakes. Well that's true yes but we need to be a picture of God and to just you know use that card and say no I'm, I'm not perfect I'm human Jesus himself says be ye therefore perfect even as your father in heaven isn't perfect um, Leviticus 192 is be ye holy for I am holy God has not changed in what he wants he wants perfect followers now there again there's a whole nother I'll leave that to somebody else. We need to strive towards that. We need to be, you know, they, they, you hear you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And, oh, I don't like that. But there's some truth to it. We need to be a good enough Bible that people can read it and see, you know what? This guy is all about love. This guy exudes the love of Christ. So I was careful. You just mixed bondo and apples, and I'm trying to picture that in my mind. But um, no, it won't. The rotten fruit that we produce, or the fruit that's imperfect, there's there's a difference. You know, if we're producing fruit, but it's not quite quite right, are we content with that? Oh. we shouldn't be. Or are we doing what it takes to figure out how to make our fruit better? That's, that's the question. So then what is, what
2: is the source of better
0: fruit? Well, I don't know if I have it in there because, yep, so I don't know if I have it in there because I had to chop stuff out. Um, I had to prune. But there's, there's a passage where the owner of a garden comes in and he looks at a tree that's not bearing food and he says, cut this tree down. And the gardener says, well, let me dig around the roots for a little bit. Let me, let me cultivate around it. Let me figure out what's going on down in the root system. Let me feed it and fertilize it. The master said, I've waited three years, and I still haven't seen fruit from this tree. Cut it down. The gardener says, give me some time. Let me get to the root of the problem. Well, I think we need to allow Christ to get to the root of our problem. And I think that he lets other people or uses other people to do that. And I will get to that here after a little bit. So God's call in Leviticus of be ye holy, that calling has never changed. According to 1 John 4, 7-12, when people who claim to be Christians show no evidence of this kind of Godlike Christlike Christ-like, spirit-produced love, then they, typo, sorry they call into question whether they are truly born again, verse 7. They show that they don't really know God, verse 8 and they are despising the cross of Christ by refusing to live as if it has anything to teach us. But worst of all, they are keeping God invisible. They are hiding the love of God. They are concealing the God who is love, the God who cannot be seen in himself, but longs to be seen in and through us. The fruit of love is one of the fruits that directly affects our brothers and sisters. Some of the fruits that we'll look at affect primarily us, Some of them affect our relationship between us and God. But the fruit of love affects not just us, not just us and God, but directly affects everyone that we come in contact with. So while I believe Christ-like love needs to go far beyond the reaches of just my church, I do want to focus on my church or your church, meaning the building that you meet in Sunday morning, not your conference, Focus on that with these next few questions. And if you care to answer, that'd be great. Your excuse is that we're running short on time. How have you expressed love? Think in the last month. If you don't want to answer, that's okay. How has love been expressed to you? Sharing. Sharing. If you can't, in those two questions, come up with a dozen scenarios in the last month between how you have expressed or how love has been expressed to you, if you cannot come up with a dozen scenarios in the last month, I must ask, does your church have the fruit of love? Or do we just get together and we're just who we are? And you know, Yeah, I mean... I keep tabs of how, of, of how I have love expressed to me yes as far as giving it out maybe you shouldn't keep tabs on that but, but how do you know that your fruit's okay or do you just say "Well, I'm sure that I love people I'm sure I show love it's like a father that loves his children but never says I love you like, they know that I love them my spouse knows that I love them. Have you expressed it? Spend time with them. So the question there is where can we improve? And that's for you to decide in and of yourselves. John 14, 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. There Jesus is telling us how to love him. What did he say was the greatest and second greatest commandment? If you love me, keep my commandments. So, his answer to the lawyer was, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart." And the second is like unto it, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Well, who's my neighbor? I have a
2: question. say Everything in the law hung on those two. Why would we keep
0: Why wouldn't we keep them all? That's a good question. Anybody want to answer that? So I agree with that. I think by law he means the law that was set forth by Moses. There's a whole lot of other things that were added to it later about feast days and things like that. I don't think those are tied into it as I look at the Hebrew and and what he was saying there and the Greek here when he was saying on these two hang all the law, it's not all the little nitty-gritty details about sacrifices and stuff like that because I don't believe he was saying keep all the sacrifices. I think he was saying the root of those ten commandments that I gave or the law that that I gave the children of Israel as far as how they should conduct themselves in worship and in day-to-day life, the root of those two things is the love of God and the love of man. Which law are we talking law. about? Yep. <clears throat> so in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, you don't have to read all that, that's where they're asking, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. As we look at the rest of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, you will find that to be true. The law guided people's actions. Being grafted into the vine will guide our intentions and decisions and fill our hearts with a desire to reflect the love poured out and into us and to feebly attempt to return that love by obedience to the only true example, Jesus. We have very little time. The other side of love. All right, somebody get Proverbs twenty-seven five through six. Thank you. Hebrews twelve six. Him the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Revelations three nineteen. Where does this kind of love fit in the brotherhood? Have you ever had wounds from a friend? Yes and yes. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, be careful, fathers, that you don't stick to open rebuke and keep your love a secret from your children. But how do we rebuke in love? Are we supposed to rebuke in love? How does it feel to receive loving rebuke? If someone comes to you with a, a concern or a question or flat-out criticism, you can tell like that if it's done in love or not.
1: There was a good story, Companions, a times about it takes a village or something like that. And if you read, it's a good story about how uh, when someone comes to you about your children, you have to feel the best to know that when the shoes will be on the foot, and be able to accept that God is really, you know, keep their life.
0: Yeah. I have been the recipient of much loving correction in my lifetime. Praise God. Some people, some people will come to you and they see the problem in your life and they want to fix it but that's all they want to do. They want to fix the problem. Some people come to you and they see a problem in your life and they see where that problem is going to lead you. They don't just want to fix it. They care about you and they want you to know that they care about you and that they're concerned with where you're going to end up. And you can tell the difference. Doesn't mean it feels good. Does not mean it feels good. And it gives you cause for pause when you then go to approach someone later in life and say, all right, Am I sure that I'm coming to this person in love? Or do I just see a problem and want to fix it? Do I want to set them straight? Do we care about the people that concern us? Do we ever think about someone and think, man, they just, they really need to get their act together. If they would just this and this and this and this, they wouldn't have to struggle with all these things. That's not love. I've talked about some people before and have serious issues. Some of them used to work for me and get to the end of a conversation and just say, you know, they just, they need Jesus. So do I. The last question is not for discussion here this evening. It's for you to go home and think about. And if you want to discuss it with me at some point, I would love to because it's a fascinating question that's been raised lately to me. Is anger a form of love? Is anger a form of love? Think about being passionate about something. We're not going to discuss that one any further. We're supposed to stop at 20 after. And I'm going to be on time. So, the last three statements for this evening. When Jesus is seeking fruit, will he find us in full foliage but figless? Do we look good from a distance? Do we appear to the world around us like a great big strong tree organization, like something that looks like it's big and substantial and should have a lot of fruit? And maybe on the surface looks like we have some fruit, maybe we've even got some blossoms out there. But people come a little closer and get to know us. Is that fruit just skin deep? When the world looks on our culture, do they see Christ's reflection? So that goes beyond just personal. We'll talk later about encouraging one another and building each other up. It's a group effort. Being fruitful is a group effort. You know, sometimes sometimes we look at other people's fruit and we like to compare ourselves to other people's fruit and say, yeah, I got a little bit more than they do. Mine's a little shinier, a little juicier, whatever it is. And we like to think, I'm doing okay compared to them and them and them. And some of that I think is okay. We need to be there to challenge each other to do better, to spur each other on. But the ultimate example is Christ. That's who we need to be looking at for the source in all these things. So do I love, I mean, I love as much as my brother over here does. But do I love like Christ does? And the last statement, when you kneel beside your brother, does your heart surround him? Can you pray for and with someone without thinking about all the little nagging things that kind of bug you about him and the ways you wish he was and stuff like that? Do you have a true heart for love and concern for your brother? We have to stop. That's the last sentence. Thank you for your comments. If you're here the rest of the week and you have time to look at some of these passages and questions and stuff beforehand, that would be great. I'll try to leave more room for more discussion as we go on.